Y'all ready for God's word? Uh, Teresa Maciel is going to come and read scripture in, in English and then Espanol. The, the, the other way? Oh, okay. Espanol, then English. All right. Hello. Okay. Go for it, sister. Can you please stand for the reading of the word of God? I will read first in Santiago 4, de 1 a 4. ¿De dónde vienen las guerras y los pleitos entre vosotros? No es de vuestra consultancia, las cuales combaten en vuestros miembros. Conocéis y no tenéis, matáis y ardeáis de envidia, y no podéis alcanzar. Combatéis y guerráis, y no tenéis porque no pides. Pedís y no recibís, porque no pides, porque pides mal. Para gustar, para gastar en vuestros deleitos, deleites, sorry. Adulteros y adulteras, ¿no sabéis que la amistad del mundo es enemistad contra Dios? Cualquiera, pues, que quisiera ser amigo del mundo, se constituye enemigo de Dios. Now I shall read in English for all y'all to understand. <laughs> What causes quarrel and what causes fights among you? Is it not this that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Amen. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not have, do you not know the friendship with the world is enemy? enmity, sorry, with God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Ooh, that's good. <laughs> Amen. Ain't no need for me to preach. I'm going to sit down. That's good all by itself. Amen. You got to love it when the word of God just preaches itself. Uh, for those of you who are not here last week, uh, I preached on marriage. I want to encourage you to uh, go back and listen to uh, that sermon. Uh, we did have a challenge at the end that uh, we challenged our married couples to go on a date within the next two weeks. You guys got a week left, and uh, I want to encourage you to go out and enjoy your boo. Um, y'all have a good time. Amen? Amen. We got to encourage marriages in this place. Amen? Well, we struggling on this marriage thing around here. We ain't getting a whole lot of love up in here. I say we got to encourage marriages around here. It was game seven in the NBA championship, the Warriors going up against the Cavaliers. The Cavaliers were at home and the Warriors were away. The commentator said that if the Warriors are going to win this game, they're going to have to win it in the belly of the beast. Away from home, at another territory, the commentator makes it clear that warriors, if you're going to win, you're going to have to put your game faces on and win this battle in the belly of the beast. But friends, it's one thing when the belly of the beast is not at home. But it's another thing when the belly of the beast is your home. 
It's one thing to be in conflict away from home. It's another thing to have conflict in your own home. Many of us wish that our houses were the sanctuary that we go to. Our house should be the place where we can find peace if there's nowhere else to find peace. Our house should be the place where we can find rest if there's nowhere else we can find rest. But if we are honest this morning, sometimes the craziest and most unpeaceful place is sometimes our own home, our own address. Friends, this morning I want to talk about division, conflict within family. I was reading an article this past week, and it said high up in a tree in British Columbia is a bird sanctuary. Six birds are sharing a nest, specifically two bald eagles, three eaglets, those are the little baby ones, and a baby red-tailed hawk. And sure, birds of different special uh, species sharing the same nest may sound rather strange, but if you know anything about birds, you are shocked that this actually is especially strange because most of the time, Bald eagles and red-tailed hawks are enemies, known to fight each other to the death. Experts are baffled on how such peace can exist in one nest and are concerned on how long this peace will last before conflict breaks out. Sounds a whole lot like human family. We certainly have our unusual times of peace with our family. Thanksgiving starts out peaceful. <laughs> Somebody get something special inside of them. That holy water. Eggnog. That'll work too. Christmas starts out peaceful. But there's always this anticipation that conflict can break out at any moment. Wait for it, wait for it, wait for it. Boom, there it is. Auntie and drunk uncle are at it already. <laughs> Again, for the second Thanksgiving. Family reminds us of this song. And although this song is intended for romantic relationship, I believe that it applies in some way to the family relationship. Break up to make up. That's all we do. You love me. Then you hate me. That's a game. Oh, y'all oh, in church, so y'all act like y'all don't know. Y'all radio stations went on 92.3 when y'all drove in this morning. Y'all, okay, 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 okay. Y'all was on 102.3, my bad. Let me bring it back again. Break up to make up. That's all we do. First you love me, then you hate me. That's a game for, okay, church folks, okay, now we real. Family seems to break up and make up a lot. My mama used to make us make up a lot when we were younger, when me and my siblings would get into it. My sister's here on the front row, and she would say, now go over there and hug your sister and kiss her on the cheek and tell her you love her. That's that, that's that forced love. We live in a society that sensationalizes conflict, if we are honest this morning. We love being entertained by conflict. Most of our reality shows are built on conflict. 
from way back to Flavor Flav. Y'all don't remember Flavor Flav with the big clock? Yeah, as much as I go over on my sermons, I need that clock so I can keep time. Flavor Flav to love and hip-hop. We love being entertained by conflict. The talk show, Wendy, is built on people's conflicts. I think one reason we love to be entertained by conflict is because we don't know how to deal with it. Because we can't deal with it, we'd rather be entertained by it. How does God feel about conflict? What do we do with conflict? Families rise and fall on the ability to resolve conflict. And not just conflict in your home, but conflict in the church. Believe it or not, drama breaks out in the church as well. I know you see the smiles. But when you get closer to the core, you realize that you're doing ministry with sinners from the pastor on down. Marriage often, somebody say amen. I know that's right. I know that's right. Okay, say amen. Say ouch. I'm going to say ouch. <laughs> Siblings, relationship rise and fall. Parental and in-law relationships rise and fall on this. When division comes, how good are we at resolving conflict and going on in love? So our message today in our family map series is division, the divided family. How do we keep family relationships harmonious? And how do we protect them from declining into toxicity? First point I want to make is, why do families divide? Why do families divide? Who in here doesn't have family drama? What is so amazing is how families even make it a day. We know the deepest and ugliest secrets about each other. No one knows you better than your own family. Everybody else may have a good outlook out on, uh, on you, but your family, they know you. It's only the unique, stretchy nature of familial love that keeps us bound together. That in shared DNA. We don't take it, <clears throat> we don't take half from others what we take from our families. You can't do that to my sister. I can, but you can't. You can't say that to my brother. I can, but you can't. But even the healthiest families have deep relational problems. If your family is crazy like mine, you've seen father and son go for blows, mother and daughter cussing matches. And I remember when I was younger, and I'm going back to when I was young to be safe. I remember when I was younger, and we're a family of seven, and this explains why I eat so fast. Because if you didn't eat, that's on you. One day, we get up in the morning. You know those frozen waffles that you take out, you pop in the toaster. So I got up early. I wanted to make sure that I got me some waffles because I love my waffles, okay? And so I put them in there. Take, I, I get to the syrup. I get to the syrup. It's just a little bit of syrup left. I go on and drench them. I, go, I, I just go ahead and just finish it out. I thought it was wise. My older brother in the back ain't looking at him because I'm still traumatized from this. <laughs> yeah, I pray for us. We still dealing with that. I'm eating, I'm eating my waffles. 
And I thought it was wise to put the syrup bottle on the top of the stairs, the empty syrup bottle. So when he came up the stairs, he seen the empty syrup bottle. Y'all ain't going to believe what he did to me after that. Only thing I remember is a foot coming down on me, and it came down on me hard. Y'all hear me? I think I almost filled my waffles back up, you know? Well, that's why I eat so fast. Because I wasn't trying to get caught lacking out here in these streets. I remember when I was younger and the movie Soul Food came out, it was a clear depiction of love and hate uh, between the family, all kinds of family drama, but people would show up to the reunion anyway, never really resolving the conflict. So it was a matter of time until the nice dinner turned into a WWF match. Don't let people cute Sunday family look fool you. Oh, look at them. They're so cute. We wish we were like them. I don't care how cute the Hansons look. And there ain't no Hansons in there, hopefully. Um, I don't care how cute the Hansons look. They got conflict in their family. They sinners just like the rest of us. Last week we talked about marriage, the justified marriage. Justification should shape our expectation for the spouse we marry. Jesus died for sinners. Not decently good people, but ugly People, fundamentally depraved people, you and I. No matter who you marry, you married a sinner that falls short of the glory of God. Your spouse has already figured out they are married to a sinner too. If you don't know, you may think you're killing the game, but I'm telling you, watch the facial expressions. Keep looking at me, keep looking at me, keep looking at me. I don't want to be flooded with marriage counseling. <laughs> By allowing the gospel to shape my expectations on who I marry and what's even the best of marriage, we can be helped and minimize the shock of, I can't believe you like that. This is important in family relationships, too. Now, the difference is we get to choose who we marry, but we don't get to choose who our family is. That drunk uncle, you inherited him. The auntie with the potato salad, she ain't going nowhere. There she is right there. That's how it looks. She get that compliment on her, uh, 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 on her dish. She look like, thank you, sweetie. Thank you. I'm going to just let that dwell for a minute. Y'all need to let that marinate. But because we don't choose our families, we all got an out, right? Hey, bruh, I was just born into this family. I ain't choose them. I was just born here. It's plain, it's plain that we were all born into a family that we did not choose. It's plain old gospel truth that I am a sinner in a family of sinners. God's people would say amen to that if they truly believe that we were all born into a family of sinners. This works good for church relationships, too, particularly when when our main focus is not on how sinful others are, but on how sinful I am. We all bring our mess to the family because we all fall short of the glory of God. One saying goes like this, if you find a perfect church, don't go there because you'll mess it up. Getting to the point that we are all jacked up. Why? Because of sin. 
I bring my own shortcomings to the equation just as much as my neighbor next to me. This explains where conflict comes from. James 3, 13 through 18 says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his work and the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it's earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy, watch it, and selfish ambitions exist, there will be disorder of every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And the harvest of righteousness is is sown in peace by those who make peace. James is describing two kinds of wisdom for living, two very different outcomes depending on which road you take. The earthly way is jealousy and selfish ambition. I'm going to get mine, and I'm going to grind till I shine. Their outcomes are predictable, division and carnality. Contrast is life according to the wisdom of God. These outcomes are dramatic and wonderful for any family. Peace, gentleness. How about open dialogue? Lots of mercy and sincerity. Two kinds of wisdom, two ways of living, two kinds of families. These should give us encouragement that the way our family culture is isn't the way it has to be. God has made a way out for us. Our family does not have to be shaped by conflict. It does not have to be shaped by division, but we must make a choice. Are we going to do things our way or are we going to do things God's way? You know what happens when you do things your way. There's always a dead end. But when we do things God's way, it seems to go much, much, much better. Family culture can change, but part of this is understanding why we have conflict in the first place. James is clear in James 4, 1 through 3, that conflict comes from the heart. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and curl. You do not have because you do not ask. James makes it clear on what causes division in our marriage, in our family, in our church, and in our own hearts. My heart and your heart is the core reason we have family feuds. James says we have these passions at war where? Within us. The Greek word for passion is strong desires. Strong desires are not bad. I mean, God has strong desires. It's not a sin. The problem is that our strong desires are selfish. He summarizes it this way. You desire and do not have, and you covet and cannot obtain. Let me put it plain. We fight because we can't get our way. We want what we want, and we're going to do what we got to do to get it. And if you can't say amen, you ought to say ouch. The easiest way to illustrate this is with children. And the only reason why I use children is 
because children have not figured out how to manipulate and hide their passions. They just come out. I got a two-year-old daughter. We almost got into a fight the other day. Yeah, I almost got into a fight with a two-year-old. My daughter, Lila Harris, as cute and as sweet as she is, came up to me and said, Daddy, she said this clear, you know, in the baby's voice. But she said, Daddy, can I get a cookie? No, you can't get a cookie. See, what happens? The face drops. She gets mad. And I'm like, I don't care about your little sad dropping face and the little attitude you got. And she swung at me. She, she took a blow at me. I was like, I'm your dad, I'm your father. You going to swing at me? Okay, well, come on in. No, I'm just playing. I'm just playing. But she swung at me, y'all. The two-year-old that I take care of and love swung at me, then hit the ground and started crying. She just fell out on the ground. She's going to do whatever she can to get what she wants. And I'm telling you, that cry and that face is powerful. And many parents have failed to the power of it. But don't laugh at the two-year-old because we do the same thing. We may not fall on the floor, but we'll fall out of church in a heartbeat. We'll fall out of relationships in a heartbeat. We'll fall out of all kinds of things when we can't get our way. We refuse to be part of anything or anyone who does not accommodate us. Friends, we want to attend churches and families and have friends that accommodate us. We want to be around people that make us feel good and make us comfortable. And you know what we do? We look around our circle of people and we say, who's not making me happy? Whoever's not making me happy, got to go. Who's ever making me uncomfortable, got to go. Friends, that is not Christ-like at all. Welcome to Christianity. Love those who do not love you. If they called you to go one mile, go a second mile. Welcome to Christianity. It doesn't suppose to be comfortable. And we are not called to surround ourselves with people that make us comfortable. But you know why we do it? Because we don't know how to deal with conflict. We don't like to be uncomfortable. We don't like to be in situations where we're uncomfortable. And you know what we do? We leave. Friends, that's the coward thing to do. And God is not glorified by it. I'm so thankful that God didn't surround himself with people who made him comfortable. Imagine if God would take the posture that some of us take and divide himself from those who don't act like him. Oh, I'm coming to your household this morning. It is not Christ-like. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and don't get it, and you fight and curl. Is James saying literally you people murder each other? Maybe, but no. Instead, he's saying the seeds of murder are there. Let's take Cain and Abel for an example. You guys remember the story of Cain and Abel? It goes a little bit like this. And the Lord had regard for Abel in his offering, but for Cain in his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, 
and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will not, will not be accepted. And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. It desires, it, it desires contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother and Abel killed him. Friends, Abel, Cain is jealous of Abel because God favors his sacrifice over his. And look at this. God comes to Cain, tries to reason with him and say, listen, yours would be acceptable, too, because God doesn't show partiality. If you did the same thing, I'll be pleased with yours, too. Oftentimes, when we got issues with one another, does not the Spirit of God speak to our hearts and say, go be reconciled with your brother. Go be reconciled with your sister. But what do we do? We let it sit. We let it fester. And we say, I ain't going over there. Right? And we say, I ain't got no issue with them. They just better not say nothing to me. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I mean, we cool. Just better not come near me. They, they, hey, they come by me, that's on them. Whatever happens, happens. I may lose all my religion that day. But as he allowed that bitterness and anger to sit, what happened? He murdered him. He took him out. We may not murder each other, but Jesus says is this. That if we hate our brothers in our hearts, we have already committed murder. You see, Cain didn't check the seeds of jealousy and coveting in his heart, and they blossomed into murder. You see, Cain's problem was not on the outside, but on the inside. And most of the times we try to fix external things and never deal with the internal things. We can never forget the sinful nature of humanity. You must know how sinful you are. And I've been trying to preach this and preach this and preach this and preach this. Understand how sinful you really are. Because when you understand that, most of your problems is with the person in the mirror, not everybody else. And he said, Jesus, watch this. And what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. The problem is on the inside. And while you may not be at the stage of murdering somebody physically, because of unresolved conflict, many families simply cohabitate and on a perpetual emotional simmer. You ever been around somebody who's always simmering just at any moment? They can just explode. It doesn't take much to explode. No, we cool as long as they don't say nothing to me. Jane calls this pleasures or desires in the NIV. It, it, it said <coughs> in the NIV, it calls it desires and there. Character is defined by their opposition to the things of God. 
This is the same word used in his parable to describe what it was like for the seed of the word of God to be choked. Oftentimes, God's word doesn't penetrate. It's because we're harboring things in our hearts and God's word doesn't take root because we got anger and bitterness in the soil. It's too hard. And although God wants to do something in us and through us, we he can't do it because we're so angry. And I know. I know, I know, I know. Some of us have been cut in ways that y'all just don't understand. I got pain, you don't understand. I got hurt, you don't understand. But nothing is impossible with God. James says, among you, he is, when James says, among you, he is addressing Christians, not just the world. But do we want, but do we want peace among us? We crave harmony in our families, but how do we get there? It's not by finding a new family. It's not by finding a new church. I came to find out that no matter where you move, wherever there's flesh, there's mess. It doesn't matter. It could be black flesh, white flesh, Latino flesh, yellow flesh. It don't matter. Wherever there's flesh, there's going to be some mess. I guarantee you that. And oftentimes we think if we change our location that things will get better. But it's just a matter of time until you found out that that church is not perfect either. That family's not perfect either. We all got situations and problems in sin that we deal with. And sometimes we have to be willing to stay planted and to endure. That's why the Bible calls it long-suffering. At least the KJV do for all the KJV folks up in here. Yeah, there y'all go. I got to throw that in there. But what do we do? We pack up our spiritual U-Haul, and we move to another location, and we are unhappy there as well. Friends and family, it is time that we get past peace-faking and start peace-making. Anyone can do peace faking. We call it being phony. Hello, how are you? I'm well. Blessed and, blessed and highly favored. Walk away, can't stand her. She thinks she all letting a bag of chips. I can't stand her. That's called peace faking. The hard work of peace is why many families don't experience it. One example is racial reconciliation. The body of Christ is made up of all people. But here in America, we are still so segregated. You want to know why? Because it is hard to do life with people who are different than you. It's hard. It's difficult. It's easy to just go be with people who think like you, dress like you. It's easy. Let's just be honest. It's comfortable. It's hard to do life with people who got different political views than you, don't have the same history as you, see life a little bit different than you, and you know what it calls for? More peacemaking. And who wants to do that? When I can go over there and be comfortable as a pillow with people who think like me and can stroke my ego and tell me I'm right every single day. Oh, how we love to be told that we're right. Yes, tell me I'm right. It's hard to do life with people who are different to you. Peacemaking is the key to family culture of peace. Culture is shaped over time. Nobody does it anywhere near perfect. But getting good at handling conflict biblically 
will over time create a framework within which peace can be made. But peace faking comes naturally. A family could be in the midst of a knockdown argument going at it. I mean, cussing each other out, saying all kind of things. Somebody knock on the door. What happens? All of us are, hey, how y'all doing? What's going on? What's going on? She fixing her hair, and, you know, he getting himself together and things like that. The phone rings. Everything stop. And you just looking at them like, you just talking about me. <laughs> right? We get to church, have the whole fight in the car on the way here. Almost hit a, a, a mountain of snow out there fighting. And get to church. Hey, how y'all doing? How y'all doing? Oh, this little scratch right out. Oh, that ain't nothing. <laughs> you know, you know. I kind of, I kind of slid past a little sharp piece of glass. That's all that is. That's all that is. What's that little blood on the nail right there? No, I'm just playing. But real talk, boy, we will get it together in the heartbeat. But aren't you tired of acting like you got peace? Aren't you tired of playing games? I don't know about you. I don't want to play like I got peace. I don't want to act like I got peace. I read somewhere that there's a peace that transcends understanding. And I don't know about you, but I want that kind of peace in my life, in my home, for my children. I want to have a real sanctuary with real peace. Friends, we have to remember that God displayed for us what it is to be a peacemaker and not a peace faker. I'm so glad that God was not a peace faker, but he was a peacemaker. Friends, let me remind you that God didn't just talk about it. He actually was about it. God didn't just talk it. He actually walked it. God did what none of us would do. He left heaven, the eternal heaven. He stepped into time. He sent his son born of a woman under the law. He walked with us 33 years although he should have killed us all. Instead, he sends him into the world to do what? To make peace. I know, I know that a lot of you think that you and God was good because you'll give the occasional head nod of the man upstairs. But I want to remind you that God was your enemy and you were hostile to God. You didn't like God. I know you think that you like God, but you just like the God that you made up in your head. You didn't like the God of the Bible because he says, no other person before me. I come before everybody and mankind have fallen short of that we were enemies of God. And if we were to come into his presence without sacrifice, without blood, he would kill us dead. He was hostile towards us and we were hostile towards him. And he humbled himself and put on flesh and died on the cross. The eternal God, we hear it all the time. God let our hearts not grow callous to this. He died on the cross for your sins so that he would no longer be hostile towards you. But so that what? So that he could friend you. But far be it from God to be unjust. You have to pay for your sins, but you didn't have the money to do it. And so he sent his son, his only son, and he paid the price for you. God ain't peace faking. God is peacemaking for real. He's for real about his. It says it like this in the book of Philippians. 
Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not, con- did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. God was not passive aggressive. He was peace aggressive. And the result for those who receive this salvation by faith is peace with God. Romans 5 1 says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have what? Peace with God. Friends, how can you comprehend, swallow that, take that kind of gospel in and not extend that grace to the person next to you? The only reason why is because you don't get the gospel. And I'm pausing on purpose here. Because so often we love to hear the gospel. But we do not want to live out the implications of it, church. Believers in church, atheists, when we leave. We're not playing games here. God said, if you do not forgive others, he will not forgive you. It's not enough to stack up theological facts in your head. It's not enough to show up on Sunday morning. It's not enough for us to say, oh, we're a mixed church because we got black and white in the room. That's not reconciliation. That's not doing life together. So easy to play the church games. But I'm here to tell you that how we treat one another, it does not save you, but it is proof whether you're saved or not. It is the tangible evidence on whether you are saved or not. How do you treat your brother who you do see? But you say you love God who you don't see. But you hate those who are made in his image. Peacemaking is hard. But the power of it is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Matthew 5, 23 to 24 says this. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift to God. Know what God is saying? Don't bring me a gift until you reconcile with your brother and your sister. Don't offer me praise and worship. Show me worship by going to reconcile with your brother and your sister. Or your wife. Or your daughter. Or your brother. Or your sibling. Like one preacher said, had a man come in his office and says, I just can't love my wife. She's not acting like my wife. He says, well, you still are obligated to love your neighbor. So if you don't feel like she's your wife... Love her as your neighbor. He was like, she's not acting like my neighbor. She's acting like my enemy. And he says, the Bible says, love your enemy. So go home and love your enemy. There's really no way out of this thing. Heaven's coming, people. But let me give you some practical ways to resolve conflict. Number one, 
we got to bear with one another. Colossians 3.13 says this, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other. Here's why. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Doing life with other fallen people will require you to bear with them. And we don't need to call a meeting every time you're annoyed or call a meeting every time your feelings are hurt. Some people, I need to talk to the pastor. They looked at me the wrong way. Well, look back at them and say, hey. It's called the meeting phone. I thought this was serious, man. But we got to bear with one another. It's okay. We're serious about doing life with one another. You're going to hurt my feelings. I'm going to hurt your feelings. I'm going to say something that offend you. You're going to say something that offend me. But at the end of the day, we have to bear with one another. And sometimes we got to cover it as well. Sometimes we're bearing and sometimes we're covering. First Peter, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Now we are on the level of actual sin, not little annoyances, but more serious offenses. Wrong done to us. If we have to confront and reconcile every sin we notice in anyone, we will be a full-time sin inspector. Yet Jesus says, if you want to inspect something full time, inspect yourself. He says, you hypocrites, first take the log out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. It's so easy to see other people's sin. It's so hard for me to see my own sin. Reminds me of when I was in Costco one day and uh, getting some groceries and trying to feed the family, and, and I came up short at the register. And the gentleman behind me, and I was kind of happy I came up short because he paid for my groceries, and I was just playing. But the gentleman behind me took out his own card and paid for the remainder of my groceries. Friends, that's called covering somebody. And sometimes we got to dig down in our sanctified souls and say, you know what? You messed up. But I'm going to go ahead and cover it. But how do we distinguish between covering it and when we need to confront it? Because we need to be clear here. Sometimes we need to bear with it. Sometimes we need to cover it. But sometimes we need to confront it. But before I talk about confronting it, let me give a word to the husbands in the room. Husbands, God has called you to keep your household together. The word husband comes from the Latin word rubber band, which was to illustrate a band that kept the walls of the house together. And sometimes husbands keeping your families together means you don't win all of the arguments. Sometimes you lose the argument so that Satan doesn't win, so that he doesn't get a foothold in your family. And I'm going to tell you that the Bible is clear that if we do not take care of our families, we are worse than unbelievers. If you don't take care of people that have your last name, shame on you. 
But sometimes you're going to have to lay on the altar even when you feel that you're right. And say, I'd rather keep my family than allow Satan to run into this home and tear it up. There's many times at our house, there's a chair in the middle of the hallway. When me and Paige have our little disagreements, I'll go sit in that chair and I'll be glazing out the window. You ever just looked out the window mad? You just, like this. All the creation before you just mad at her. You, like this. And the Holy Spirit will tap on my shoulder and say, it's time to go downstairs and make peace. Even when I feel like I'm, I'm right. It's not comfortable Christianity. This is walking in the footsteps of the Savior. He didn't do anything wrong, but he took the first step. Indeed, he did. Confront it. When do we confront it? Instead of being passive aggressive, sometimes we need to confront it. We see this in Matthew 18. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his faults between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. We unfortunately see this verse as church discipline, but it is really a step towards making peace. Go to the person and point out the fault. Obviously, this is not permission to be obnoxious or holier than thou. Don't go to them thinking that you're all that. You need to go to them in humility, understanding that God has died for me first. Let me understand that. Let me take it in. And then I go to them and I confront them with a sin that I cannot seem to shift into the category of grace. And this is what I tell people. When do you confront it? If you can't get over it, you need to confront it. Don't be passive aggressive. We're not children. You go to them in humility and say, brother, sister. You offended me in this way. And if they humbly repent, you are to forgive them. You are not to hold on to it. Now, let me say this. Those who have been offended need to go confront it. Those who have offended, you need to repent. And oftentimes this conversation is one-sided. We talk about those who need to forgive, but we also need to talk about those who need to repent. And to repent is to turn away from your sin and walk in the other direction. And let's not play this manipulating game. God said that you're supposed to forgive me while you continually and habitually walk in your sin towards your brother and your sister. No, the Bible says turn and repent from your Sins. Bear it. Cover it. Forgive it. If we do not practice these things as a church, Bethel Gary will dissolve. And it will not be a Bethel Gary church. If we do not put these things into practice, our families will not stand. No relationship will stand apart from bearing and covering it and forgiving it it was real cold this past week wasn't it it's like negative 50 what the devil is that negative 50 your blood freeze up when you go outside 
It was cold, cold, cold. And I'm like, why is it so cold? And I did a little research and I found out that there's this thing called a polar vortex. And this polar vortex, it, 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 it twirls at a certain speed in order to keep this cold Arctic air from going into places that it should not go. And when that polar vortex is out of balance, that cold Arctic air finds its place and it finds itself in places that it should not be. Friends, some of our households are colder than it was Wednesday because we have allowed cold air to get into our families, to get into our church. We have allowed bitterness and anger and, 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 and division to enter into our homes. And Wednesday had no comparison to some of the cold air that is in some of our homes but God has given us the cross of Jesus Christ in the gospel to keep the cold air where it needs to be and friends when the church walks in the gospel of Jesus Christ the world can see that we love one another in spite of what we've done we love one another in spite of our shortcomings friends there ought to come a day in this church that it is the most peaceful and most godliest place there is why? Because we understand that he rose from the dead on our behalf, justified us. And because he justified me and because he forgave me, I don't mind forgiving you because he forgave me. I don't mind forgiving my wife because he forgave me. I don't mind forgiving my brother because he forgave me. I don't mind reconciling. I don't mind taking the first. I wish I had some people in the room that knew what it was to walk in this gospel, not just to talk this gospel, but to live it out and see the glory of God move in our cities, move in our streets. You know what? We're not going to reach the city by cool programs. We're not going to reach the city by doing fancy things. We're going to reach the city when they see a true love in the people of God, when we understand that we need one another, that I need you just as much as you need me. If we understand Understood that. Let me park here parenthetically because Paul puts it like this in the book of Corinthians. The hand can't say to the foot that I don't need you. The ear can't say to the nose that I don't need you. We have to come to grips with the fact that we need one another. And if you understood that the majority of your sanctification is tied to the person next to you, you'll actually care about reconciling. Instead of packing up and leaving all the time. He came. So that. Not only. Will we have peace with God. But so that we may have peace. With one another. 